From the Jewish Federation of Florida's Gulf Coast, this is the Parsha Pathways Podcast. Dive in to the weekly Torah portion led by rabbis local to Florida's Gulf Coast, Pinellas Pasco, and Hernando Counties. Participate live every Friday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time via Zoom. Visit jewishgulfcoast.org slash Parsha to learn more. morning everyone it's beautiful to see everyone over here uh, my name is rabbi eber like maxine said i am from Chabada, west pasco been here in florida for 16 years and everyone is following all of us to florida now so we're the smart ones and everyone's coming you know following us so um 30 years ago from this coming tuesday exactly 30 years ago i was 15 years old living in Brooklyn, New York. Um, the leader of the Chabad movement, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, gave out a booklet that I have in my hand that I've received personally from him. In here, there are $2 bills to give to charity. These were not given, I give different bills so I can hold on to the bills that the Rebbe actually touched. And it is a booklet of the last edited discourse that he gave out to his followers. Anyone that came, men, women, children, anyone that came got one of these with the $2. In it is a Hasidic discourse based on this week's Parsha, this week's Torah portion. And that's what we are going to discuss today. We're going to take the very first verse of the parsha, and we're going to dissect it, discuss it, study it um, based on mysticism. Um, what I hope everyone takes away today is, one, what is a mitzvah? We hear the word thrown around a lot, a mitzvah, do a mitzvah, did you do a mitzvah? What exactly is a mitzvah? What is a Rebbe, not a rabbi, a Rebbe, a, a world Jewish leader, okay? Um, and what our purpose today is in the world, every one of us. Um, so I'm going to go right in to the first verse of this week's Torah portion. It says as follows, the Atta Tetzava. God is talking to Moses, and God is saying, and you shall command as B'nai Yisrael, the children of Israel, they shall take to you shemen zayizach, pure olive oil, kasis lamar, crushed for the luminary, l'ha'oles ner tamid, to raise up a constant flame. This is the first verse of this week's parsha. So the discourse begins with a few questions on the very first verse. Question number one, everywhere in the Torah it says, when God is speaking to Moses to tell the Jewish people something, he says, Sav, as B'nai Yisrael, command the children of Israel. Here it says, Vi'ata tetzava, and you shall command, as if Moses is the one commanding. Why the difference 
in our portion this week versus everywhere else where it's command the Jewish people. Here it's you command. Moses is not the commander. God is the one commanding. Yet God is telling Moses, you command the Jewish people. That's question number one. Question number two, why does it say they shall bring the olive oil to you to raise up for a flame in the, on the menorah? We know that Moses' brother was Aaron. He was the high priest, and he was the one that lit the menorah. So seemingly, it would make more sense the, the oil should be brought to Aaron, not to Moshe. Yet over here it says, they shall bring the oil to you. The next question is, why does it say crush for a luminary? It should have seemingly said to illuminate. That makes more sense. So why does it say uh, they should bring oil to you, crush for a luminary? Rather, it should say bring oil to illuminate. Seems more appropriate. The final question is, why does it say for um, an everlasting light? Um, and in the verse after that, it says from the evening till morning. One place it says evening to morning. One place it says uh, everlasting. So these are the few questions that the Hasidic discourse begins with. And here we're going to discuss what a mitzvah is. So the Rebbe in the discourse quotes his father-in-law, the previous Chabad Rebbe, and he's based on a Hasidic discourse that was given in Russia on Purim Katan, like this year was a leap year, so there was a, a mini Purim, so to speak. And he brings down over there that the word mitzvah or tetzave, like in this week's portion, means uh, binding and uniting. Okay? So the Rebbe quotes his father-in-law stating that the word va'ata and you shall command, he brings from his father-in-law that it means you shall bind and you shall unite. And now we have an answer to our first question. Why, is, why does God tell Moses you shall command the Jewish people, not command the Jewish people? So based on the Hasidic text of the Rebbe's father-in-law, the previous Chabad Rebbe, that the word tetzave means you shall bind and you shall unite, which means that Moses, Moshe, binds and unites the Jewish people with God, with the infinite light. So question number one, why does it say you shall command? Over here we have an answer. It means, not you shall, simply meaning it means you, you shall command. But and the deeper explanation is, you shall bind, you shall unite the Jewish people with the infinite light. Now, the word mitzvah has the same root. Okay, so typically when we think of mitzvah, we think of, can anyone, anyone want to take, you know, go off mic and tell me when you think, when you hear the word mitzvah, what do you think? What comes to mind? Good deeds. A good deed. What is a good deed? So a good um, deed. How go about ahead. how about doing God's will? Oh, 
a good deed is doing God's will. I'm going to keep going. What is God's will? Or how do we know what God's will is? Anybody? How do we know what God wants from us? It's not a trick question. It's actually a very easy question. <laughs> the Torah. How about the, the, the Torah? Exactly, Beth. It's very simple. It's all... In the Torah, God lays it out for us as Jewish people. We have 613 commandments. That's our instruction book. The word Torah comes from the word hira'a as a teaching, as a lesson. It's a, a blueprint how to live our lives. So when we say a mitzvah, we say it's a good deed. What's a good deed? What God says. What does God say? We'll look into Torah. So I want to ask everybody, if we go out today to clean um, Clearwater Beach, is that a good deed or is that a mitzvah or is that neither or is that both? Both. Okay. Does it say anywhere in the Torah to clean the beach? No. No. So it's not a mitzvah. It's a nice thing to do. You know, it's very, but it's not a mitzvah. Now, so what is a mitzvah? A mitzvah is a commandment. And when we fulfill a commandment, which is very defined by God, God says, this is a commandment, and this is not. Period, end of story. So when we fulfill a commandment, at that moment, from what we're learning over here, we're learning the word mitzvah, tzavsa, tetzava, means to bind and to connect. So when we're doing a mitzvah, we're connecting to God. When we're cleaning the beach, we're feeling good. We're doing a nice thing. We're not doing a mitzvah. And so too in life, we can do many, many nice things and not necessarily a mitzvah. So what's the difference if we're doing something nice that's not, not a mitzvah? We're doing a mitzvah that's not nice as we would perceive it in the world. On other, it's not a bad thing, but you know, if you shake a lulav and an esrog on the holiday of Sukkot, you're doing a mitzvah, you're, buying, you're connecting to Hashem. If someone walking by sees you doing it, would they think you're doing a nice thing? Not, not probably not. Well, hey, this guy wants to shake it. You know, this woman or this guy wants to shake a tree today, and this, <laughs> this thing that looks like a lemon. You know, you know, good for them. I don't think they would say, "Wow, that's an amazing thing that they're doing." So, a mitzvah is not something defined by humanity, not something defined by culture. It's very, very narrowly defined by what God told us to do in the five books of Moses. We have the six hundred thirty commandments. That's a mitzvah, and something else is not. I can tell you as a rabbi. I've been doing outreach since I'm 12 years old. You know, growing up in Brooklyn, going to Manhattan. On Fridays, we get out of school early. We got out of school early to go to Manhattan to find Jewish people as good Chabadniks to ask them to put on tefillin and give out, you know, candles for women to light Shabbat candles. And, you know, just to, you know, be a listening ear for a fellow Jew. And believe it or not, people opened up to us little kids and then we became teens and, and people really opened up. Um, how many times did I put on tefillin with people or gave them Shabbat candles and they just, they became very emotional. A lot of them start to cry. And it's not something that we can, I, I, I don't think you can rationalize it. So you put on, you know, tefillin as a box on the hand, a box on the head. It's a commandment. It's a big commandment. 
and people start to cry, or, or some other mitzvah. To me, it's because a mitzvah, when you do a mitzvah, you're connecting to something much higher than yourself. It's much more than something nice. You're connecting to Hashem, you're connecting to God, which is the ultimate peace and unity one can find in this world. So back inside over here, we asked the question, why does it say, and you shall command the children of Israel? Seemingly, like everywhere else in the Torah, I should have said, command the children of Israel. And the Rebbe answered based on what his father-in-law said, that the word tetzava means to bind and to unite, that Moses binds and unites the children of Israel with God. He goes on to say that when Moses does that, Moses himself is enhanced. So Moses binds and unites us with God, and he himself is enhanced by that. Why? So it says that Moses and the Jewish people are considered a body. Moses is the head and the Jewish people are the feet. Just like the head can get to a destination without the feet, the feet can't do anything without the head. So too it is with Moses and the Jewish people that by the Jewish people being the feet of Moses, there is a, um, there is a, a Moses is enhanced. Um, and here we have another answer to our question. Our, uh, another question we asked, it says that we should bring, the oil should be brought to Moshe, to Moses. Why? Aaron lights the menorah. So over here, it's based on what we're studying over here. When the Jewish people are connected to a much greater way to God through Moses, what happens is there is oil, so to speak, added to Moshe. There is an, there is, there is an increase in light within Moshe himself. And that's why it says, it should be brought to you. Through you connecting the Jewish people, the oil is brought to you that Moses himself is enhanced. Before we go on, does anyone have any questions? Okay. Um, we're going to explain now the role of Moses in connecting the children of Israel, the Bnei Israel, with God. Okay? So it says like this that. Moses is called a Raya Mehemna in Aramaic, a faithful shepherd. And again, in the previous Chabad Rebbe, in that same discourse, he writes that there are two explanations to the meaning of faithful shepherd. Number one, that um, he's a faithful shepherd of Israel, just like a shepherd takes care of the flock. Moses takes care of the Jewish people. Number two, that Moses sustains Israel in a matter of faith a shepherd of faith. That means he sustains us, he helps us with our own faith. So just to step out for a moment, before Moses was Moses, God had to choose a leader to lead his people. And it's brought down in the Medrash that Moses was a shepherd, a real shepherd of, of animals. And one day he saw a little sheep, a little baby, a sheep or, 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 or a little animal. 
run away. And he started running after it to get it to bring it back. And it ran to a well or ran somewhere to, 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 to drink some water. And when Moses saw it, he realized that it wasn't really running away. It was thirsty. It was, and he went and he picked it up with his hands and he brought it back to the rest of the flock. Very gently, very caring. And um, in realizing this, God said, if this person, Moses, takes care of animals this way, he can definitely take care of my Jewish people in a gentle manner. And then he chose Moses to lead the Jewish people. So now we're going to go on and discuss faith. What is faith? Okay. So this is a question for everyone. Um, someone wants to rob a bank. They have all the plans. Everything's in place and they get to the bank and they say a little prayer. God, I promise it's the last time. Just don't let me get caught. I'll never do this again. Just, just, it's the last time. Does this person believe in, does this person have faith? Does this person believe in God? Yes or no? Anyone? You can answer. I don't know is also an answer. I, I think the person um, maybe thinks he believes in God, but in a different kind of God than what we typically think of. Okay, so you're saying he believes in his own makeup God. I suppose. Okay, that, that's one way of looking at it. Um, anybody else? Okay. So... The person breaking into a bank is obviously a very smart person. Dummies can break into banks. You need to be very, you know, you need, you need to be smart. Um, I mean, to do it right and not get caught. That's what I'm talking about, right? Um, a person that's that smart probably believes in God as well. More so, they're actually praying to God, please, I want to be successful. I'll never, I'll never do it again. So there is an element of faith there, for real, in the real God, okay? Um, the problem with this faith is that it's superficial. It doesn't affect them. I believe, but I'm still going to do it. By definition, true faith will cause one to act. Not that the other faith is not true. Of course, he believes in God. He's praying to God. But it's not an internal faith that causes him to act or to withhold from acting, to refrain from acting, to, to not do something. So it says as follows. Faith that the Jewish people have on their own, which are believers, the children of believers, starting with Abraham, it is possible that it should be a, a, a faith that's detached from the conscious being. Okay, like this, Robert? I got some news for you. Now, the classes that I give, I say we're all a little bit like the robbers. Why? I would imagine everyone in this class believes in God, has faith in God. 
we know what God told us to do. He gave us 613 commandments. We want to do it. We want to be connected to Hashem. Do we do everything that God commanded of us? Or do we do some things? The things that are much harder. Eh, when we're in a good mood, we'll do it. When we're in a bad mood, we'll really cry out to God. But on a regular day, are we going to do everything? I wish the answer was yes. So the point is, even for us, our faith that we have takes us so far. But if our faith was, was 100%, we would live like practicing Jews 24-7. Even in your sleep. How is such a thing possible? So my wife, my wife's grandfather was born in Russia. And... Um, a very, he was a very holy man. He wasn't a tzaddik. He was known as something called a bainani, um, which is a very, very unique man. So her father told me, means my father-in-law, that he wouldn't sleep much, study, pray, teach. When he wanted to go to sleep, he would lay down, and within a few seconds he was sleeping, and he didn't have to set an alarm clock. Whenever he wanted to get up, that's when he was up means he was in total control of his faculties. Even when he was sleeping. I mean, when we're sleeping, there's an element we're not in control of. But enough that if he had to be woken up, if he had to wake up, he would, he would, he would just wake up on his own. So there, there are myriads and myriads of levels of faith. But we Jewish people born... That way we have a level of faith, but it is possible that it is not a conscious faith. And Moses, which is the shepherd and sustains the Jewish people, feeds the Jewish people, that causes the Jewish people to feel their faith consciously. So faith we all have. By virtue of being born a Jew, you have a, a irrational faith in God. Makes no sense. But that's the way it is. But that faith can be aloof. That faith could be, you know, not conscious. It could not cause us to act. The faith that Moses imparts to the Jewish people is one that causes us to experience it consciously. Hi, I'm Maxine Kaufman, Executive Director of the Jewish Federation of Florida's Gulf Coast. And I'm quickly interrupting this episode to tell you a bit about the organization that brings you the Parsha Pathways podcast. Welcome to the world of the Jewish Federation, where the Jewish values of compassion, charity, generosity, and responsibility inspire us to improve the quality of life for people in our community, in Israel, and around the world every day. It is time to meet the challenges of modern Jewish life, both at home and overseas, and to provide the financial resources needed to fund the many services, programs, and activities that are demanded of us to sustain and continue to grow a strong, vital, and vibrant Jewish life. Programs like Parsha Pathways are brought to you free of charge, but donations are always welcome. Visit jewishgulfcoast.org slash donate to learn more.
goes on in the discourse that every generation has a Moses. We're coming up to Purim in a month from now. It's a leap year. Who is the Moses of the generation and time of Purim? Does anybody know? Esther. Esther. And who else? Mordechai. Mordechai. So Mordechai was threatened by Haman, as all the Jewish people were, that if you don't convert, we're going to kill you and all the Jews in all the 127 countries. Mordechai went to Esther and he told her to go to the king. We all know the story. But when it was dangerous, Mordechai gathered all the Jewish people and all the children and studied and prayed with them, knowing, knowing how dangerous it is. So Mordechai was the Moses of that generation. And so too, every generation has a leader, has a Moses, not just a leader. And what does that leader do? That leader causes us to experience our faith in a conscious way, in an internal way, something that, like I said, causes us to act or to refrain from acting. So I want to share a story. Um, there is a rabbi, his name is Rabbi Mentz. He lives in Belair, California. I recently saw the story. His mother um, was diagnosed with kidney cancer. And the doctor said, you need to go for chemo. And she said, um, you know, she spoke to her son. She said, I'm not doing it. I'm, you know, 80 and I'm not going to, you know, uh, you know, go through this. You know, I lived a good life. You know, it, you know, it is what it is. So he said, Ma, what, you're throwing in the towel. She's a tough woman. She says, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not throwing in a towel, but I'm not ready to, you know, live an extra year, you know, in pain and suffering versus six months of, of, of good life. So he said, Ma, let's write a letter to the Rebbe and send it to the Ohel in Queens asking for, for a blessing. Fine, his mother said, fine, let's write. So they wrote a letter, this is the story and we're asking for a blessing for some other type of intervention. A few days later, they get a phone call that there is a very, very big doctor, um, a kidney doctor that may be able to help. They get the number, they call the doctor. The secretary says the doctor is semi-retired. He's not taking on new patients. Sorry, can't help you. This woman's a tough woman. She sat down, she wrote a long email to the doctor. Within 24 hours, the doctor called her back. Within a week, she had an appointment. It's miracle number one that she even got in. Or miracle number two that she found the doctor. They go to the appointment, the doctor sees her, he says, listen, you have three options. Number one, you can do chemo. You said you don't want to do it. Number two, um, you can do nothing. And, you know, as long as you have to live, you live. And number three, I developed a new medicine that is not FDA approved. 17 people are on it and it's showing good signs. If you want, you're, you're fit the right age and stage, you know, you can be a candidate. So wonderful. Let's, you know, let's do it. The doctor says, no problem. It's going to cost you a quarter of a million dollars a year. And that's it. They said, thank you very much. It's not something we could do. And they left. This rabbi wrote another letter to the Rebbe, sent it to the Ohel, the Rebbe's resting place, where many, many people submit requests and blessings. And he wrote over there, we found 
someone that can possibly help us, but what good is it if we can't afford it? Please help. I don't remember how long after it was, a couple of weeks, and they get a call from this doctor that his mother is the perfect criteria for what they need. They're willing to give the medicine for free as long as she follows the exact instructions. She said, fine, no problem. And so she went and she got the medicine. And she's alive and well three years later. Three years later, and, and according to the scans, she's getting better and better. It's a miracle. That's the end of this story. In 1991 or 1992, the Rebbe had a custom to give out dollars for charity, making people an emissary to give charity. And you can ask for anything you want. So this rabbi went with his mother, and his mother asked the or told the Rebbe, uh, well, that she had a grandchild to give the Rebbe good news, you know, Mazel Tov, and that she's having a very, very long, complicated surgery, nothing connected to the story that I just told you, and she's asking for a blessing. The Rebbe gave her a dollar, like the Rebbe gives everyone for charity. Then the Rebbe gave her a second dollar for charity, saying that the operation should be successful. And then the Rebbe gives another dollar and says, this is for the special treatment. At the time, they didn't even pay any attention. It's on video. You can actually watch this video online. They didn't pay any attention to this. You know, it's part of the whole, you know, here's a dollar for you. We're talking about a 20 second interaction. So she got a blood, she got a dollar like everyone. She got a, a blessing already for her surgery of, you know, 30 years ago. And another dollar for the special treatment. He called his mother and he said, Ma, you got to watch this video. See, here you have a story, something that happened 30 years back that had played itself out 27 years later. When we talk about a Jewish leader, it's not a rabbi, with all due respect to everyone's rabbis, it's not a rabbi that is teaching you Talmud, or a Chumash, or how to read. All the rabbis are wonderful. A Rebbe is a leader, a Jewish leader, a Moses, is something totally different. Is, some, is someone that is connected to all the Jewish people. They feel the Jewish people, and they help them spiritually, materially, physically, in any way that can possibly be helped, they're there for them. So in the discourse that we're learning over here, we're learning that Mordechai, the leader of the Jewish people in times of Purim, went with self-sacrifice for himself and the Jewish people to instill faith in the Jewish people. Subsequently, every Jewish Rebbe leader, their purpose, their, 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 their mission is to light up the world of every, not to light, I shouldn't say that. There's, a, there's another story of a, a, a man that came for a private audience with the Rebbe. And he asked, what is the purpose of the Rebbe? 
in one of the stories, the Rebbe says to show you where the where your light switch is. You are me, you, everyone is going to have to turn it on themselves, but the Rebbe is going to light up the way where you should see it. That is a leader. When I say a leader, I mean the leader of every generation. Now it's interesting to note. It continues in this discourse that it says that when the, when the Jewish people received the Torah, it was the beginning, or I should say they began to observe. And in the days of Purim is when they completed it. It was the ultimate giving, ultimate observation, ultimate observance of the Jewish people for the Torah. Now, how is that possible? You know, people always ask, Rabbi, how come we don't see miracles like we saw in the days of old, splitting of the sea, the giving of the Torah, the plague, you know, the big miracles. Wouldn't we all want to see a big miracle? And in other words, as if that's holding me back from being a better Jew, a more practicing Jew, a better person. So I say, look what happened 40 days after the giving of the Torah. Remember, God came down onto Mount Sinai. All the Jewish people were there. And 40 days later, what happened? The Jews sinned with the golden calf. Granted, it wasn't all of them. It was some that, that came up. People say, you know, the, the commentaries say with the Egyptians that came up. But we're all connected. And if one of us do anything wrong, we're all blamed for it. So 40 days later, after we had the greatest revelation ever, we create a golden calf. How is that possible? The answer is very simple the revelation was superimposed. It came from above. It was a flash. It was exciting. It was awesome. And it burnt out very quickly as well. In the times of Purim, it came from the bottom. We said, we're ready to give up our lives for God. And we're going to study, we're going to pray, even though it was against the, the, the law at the time. And that's what the Jewish people did. So because it was internal, it came from us. It had an everlasting effect. And that's why it says that they, they, um, they, they, they fulfilled, they established what they accepted in the times of the giving of the Torah. Um, I'm going to finish off with one point, and this is the point of the discourse. When the previous Chabad Rebbe said this Hasidic discourse, he was in Russia, the KGB were after him, they were listening to him, and he was imprisoned and was tortured, he didn't care, he said, I'm going to do what I have to do in order to keep the light of Judaism alive and spread Judaism created underground yeshivas and underground mikvahs and underground kosher, everything that had to be done. There were many, many Jewish people that lived in Russia and they literally gave up their lives for God, for Judaism. And then there were some lucky ones that actually made it out. Even though they gave up their lives in Russia for Judaism, when they came to the United States of America, they came to the Western world, they weren't as... Um, religious or practicing as they were in Russia. Now here you can live free, you can do 
thank God we're here, we can practice, we can pray, we can learn, no one's bothering us. In Russia, you didn't have that luxury, you didn't have that liberty, yet over the year you were ready to give up your life. And here where you have it all, you could lose it. So the Rebbe says, based on the discourse, and we asked the question, why does it say crush for the luminary and not to illuminate, that we all know that when you crush an olive, you get oil. So in the, in the temple, the very first drop of the oil went for the menorah and the rest of it went for other things in the temple. But when we all know that in exile, that we live in, we all have problems. Everybody, it's parents, it's children, it's health, it's money. No one is living, you know, a life of paradise in this world. No one that I know of. And, you know, usually after I get to know people, you find out that we're all in the same boat, okay? So it's this crushing that brings out the light of every one of us. So the Rebbe says that it was self-sacrifice in Russia to do it. But you see, there was an element that was missing because when they came to a place where life was good, some of them let go to a degree of what they did in Russia. The Rebbe says that in our generation that we're living in, our, the, I guess the ultimate is to have all the money in the world, to have all the health in the world, to have everything, and still feel crushed that we're in exile, which means that there is no godly revelation that I am not in a revealed way, hugging God and being hugged by God that I can see and feel like in the times of the temple. So we know that money is, 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 a, um, is very challenging. When you have a lot of it, suddenly things start to happen. You're, you're, you're not yourself anymore. It's a very, very big challenge. And many, many great rabbis over the generations did not wish for their congregants, their, their whoever it was to be rich because the challenge was too great. I remember it was in 1992, last week's portion talks about the gold and the silver and the copper in the temple. And the Rebbe said that in our day and age, we should all do what we can to be rich, but that's not where it ends. To do good with it. To take the money you have and build a synagogue and help your neighbor and pay for the poor. That is very challenging. So our, again, so, so, so our duty is to... harness the abundance of good and wealth that we have, which is much harder than doing it when we're crushed under communism for the sake of, for the sake of God, for the sake of Judaism, for the sake of the Jewish people. How do we get to that place? If I, you know, if I win the lotto tomorrow, I want a new Lexus. I don't want to donate money. Even if I don't win the lotto, if I have money, I want to buy bread. Why should I give it away? So we all give charity. Jews are charitable people. Some more, some less, but we all give. But the point is to give much more than we can. Because that's what God wants of us. But how do we get to that place? How do we get to the place of lighting Shabbat candles every Friday? How do we get to the place of putting on tefillin every day? It's it, the world, there's a lot of distractions in the world. So going back to the beginning of the discourse, that there is a leader of every generation that sustains and feeds and binds this faith that we naturally have 
in God, it should be in a conscious way. And when we attach ourselves to the Moses of our generation, it doesn't turn us into super holy humans, but it begins to lighten up the path for us to be able to live healthy, spiritual, good lives. Because we cannot be happy just by living a materialistic life. It's impossible. It's not possible for a Jew to be happy only living a materialistic life. It has to come with a connection to Hashem if there is to be true happiness. And with this, I want to um, take questions, but one more point. We said before that Moses leads the Jewish people and the Jewish people are like the feet of Moses. In today's generation, in 2022, in our generation, every one of us is a, are a little Moses. You know, today with the social media, you can have a million followers within 30 days. You can have 40 million followers. You can have 10,000 followers. You can have 100 followers. We have children. We have friends. We have parents. We have colleagues. What's demanded of us is to be a little Moses for our surroundings. And it's not easy. They say it's lonely at the top. Moses was at the top. So for every one of us to be a little Moses in spreading Yiddishkeit, Judaism, and, and uh, um, um, making the world a, a holier, happier, healthier place to be for humanity. Now, uh, if anybody has any questions, I'd be more than happy to uh, go ahead, Bev. Hi. Um, I do have a question. Following up on your discussion to a synagogue, a mitzvah. I didn't, you broke up in the middle. Can you repeat that, please? Sure. Um, talking about mitzvahs. Is giving money to a synagogue a mitzvah? Of course. Charity is one of the biggest mitzvahs, absolutely. Which which commandment is it? Uh, which commandment is it to give charity? So it's brought in the title a few different places about tithing. Uh, right now we're discussing about bringing um, for, for the priests what, what they get. So there are a few mitzvahs it says it's compared to all the other mitzvahs. Tefillin is one of them, studying Torah is one of them, charity is one of them. So charity is charity is way up there. So it is definitely one of the 613. Absolutely. And not only that, it is it is a mitzvah that you should know no matter what background you come from. I've never heard of a Jew not giving charity, to be honest with you. It's what we do. You know, growing up as a little kid, today you don't see it as much. The little pushkas in the house, I remember I'd have a draw with 15, 20 pushkas. Every few weeks, a man would come and, you know, empty them out and put them back and, you know, collecting for Israel or your federation for Chabad or whatever it is. That's that's in our blood, you know, to, to give charity. Absolutely. Thank you. And just an aside, I grew up at 135 Eastern Parkway. Wow. Between, between what and what? Between which uh, which streets? Do you remember? 
called Washington Avenue and Grand Army Plaza. You should have held on. You should have held on to your house. You would have been a millionaire today. <laughs> no, it was a high rise. It was a high rise. It, it's still there. It's a beautiful place right now. It's at, they redid that whole circle. It's absolutely beautiful. Does anybody else have any questions regarding what we spoke about? Okay, it looks like that is it. So I will wish everyone a wonderful yeah. Shabbos. Remind everybody to, Beth, you had a question? No, Yashakoa, thank you. Oh, you're welcome, yeah. you're welcome. I will uh, remind everyone today, candle lighting time is I think about 6 p.m. in the greater Tampa, Tampa Bay area. So uh, all the ladies and uh, men, if you're living alone, then you gotta light the candles. And if you didn't put on film today, then put on. And um, I want to thank the Federation for putting up Pasha Pathways. I think it's a beautiful thing. Um, uh, it's it's like easy for for everybody. You know, you know, you can you know sit home and just you know uh, do whatever you want. And you know, you you tune in and um, you know encourage everyone to give charity to your local organizations and you know to the Federation and you know keep keep the good stuff going. Absolutely. Thank yeah. you very much, Rabbi, and thank you everybody for joining us. And we look forward um, to a wonderful Shabbat. Uh, Shabbat Shalom to everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's Parsha Pathways. We hope that this episode filled your heart, mind, and soul with Jewish wisdom. Don't forget to stop by jewishgulfcoast.org to explore everything that the Federation has to offer. And we look forward to bringing you next week's Parsha. Shabbat Shalom.